I will bless the Lord at all times. God's praise shall continually be in my mouth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Good evening. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I bring you greetings on behalf of the Episcopal Church in Middle North Georgia, the Episcopal Diocese of Atlanta, 110 worshiping communities throughout this wonderful northern half of the state, 56,000 men, women, children, teenagers, and feisty seniors, all marching forward, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. I thank you for the invitation, you who are members of Integrity. I thank you for this honor of being here with you on this most important occasion. It's wonderful to be with you this evening and to celebrate life in all of its vibrancy and fellowship, in all of its dynamism. Today, we not only prepare ourselves for the parties and the parading of this weekend, but in the church, we remember the life and witness of Wilfred Thomason Grenfell, a man devoted to the care and healing of his neighbors, a man whose life and labor speaks to us here and now. Now, I know that you all are very familiar with him and have liked his, his Facebook page and are great fans of him, but if you don't mind, indulge me. Grenville was born in England the year the American Civil War ended. He matriculated to medical school in London, was on his way to complete to a comfortable life as a physician. And that's when something interesting happened. His biography tells us that he came under the influence of an American revivalist, some kind of Renaissance man for sure. Moody was his name. You know the type. Athletic, rugged, passionate, a referential figure. Moody was an exponent of something called muscular Christianity. You ever heard of it? A notion inspired by the Apostle Paul's words that we press on toward the goal for the prize for which God has called all of us, all of the baptized. This notion that faith is more than an intellectual enterprise, but also an athletic undertaking, that's the idea. Muscular Christianity, as Grenfell came to understand, it meant that there was a commitment to health and well-being, strength used for the protection of the weak and stamina for the advancement of righteous causes. If that's the definition of muscular Christianity, we need more muscular Christians today. How many muscular Christians do you know? Would anyone describe you as a muscular Christianity, as a muscular Christian? At the ripe old age of 22, Grenfell decided to join missionary work to fishermen in Iceland and the Bay of Biscayne. Think long layers of underwear here. Five years later, Grenfell would visit Labrador for the first time and be, quote, appalled by the conditions of the workers he met, their starvation, their ill health, their poverty. Within one year, he would build the first hospital in Labrador with schools and hospital ships and clothing distribution centers to follow. Grenfell would stay committed to this work and this community for the next 42 years until his own ill health 
stopped him. You can almost hear St. Paul's words down the hallway of time. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And to some are given the gifts of healing by the one Spirit. If Grenfell teaches us anything, it is beware of athletic, charismatic foreigners and the spell they cast. And never underestimate being appalled. It just may be the way you find your life's calling. So let's test this idea about being appalled, about being appalled and that leading to good works. Open the Bible and tra travel to Africa. There we see the Hebrew midwives appalled by Pharaoh's order of infanticide. Appalled, they defied the system and saved children. Appalled by his older brother's cowardice in the face of a giant, David, the original athletic charismatic foreigner, takes faith, faces and defeats his Goliath. Fast forward and we see Jesus appalled and kneeling in the dirt with a woman sentenced to death for adultery. Appalled by, he, by this, he puts himself in harm's way for this stranger. You might say mercy is better than justice. And you could say karma has a big sister and her name is Grace. In 2012, rapper Macklemore was so appalled by the homophobia and misogyny in rap music. So appalled at the thought that two consenting adults could not be married in his home state of Washington... He penned with Mary Lambert the song, Same Love. When I was at church, he sang, they taught me something else. If you preach hate at the service, those words aren't anointed. The holy water that you soak in has been poisoned. When everyone else is more comfortable remaining voiceless, rather than fighting for humans that have had their rights stolen, I might not be the same. But that's not important. No freedom till we're equal. Damn right I support it. It was this song that became the first top 40 song to promote and celebrate marriage equity. This is all well and good. But being appalled is not something we can outsource to rappers or King David or even Jesus. Being appalled is something that is deeply personal. And so, what are you appalled at these days? I mean, not upset by, not made uncomfortable by, but appalled at. It's appalling to me that suicide is the second leading cause of death for young people ages 10 through 24, with more than 4,000 young people taking their own lives each year, and that for every actual suicide, there are at least 100 suicide attempts. And while this is a complex issue with many nuances, we do know that bullying and depression associated with being gay and lesbian, transgender or queer increases our children's likelihood of taking their own lives. We hear Macklemore sing again when kids are walking around the hallway plagued by pain in their heart. A world so hateful some would rather die than be who they are. How is it that a God who is love could want this for any of his children? It's appalling that some of us in the faith community could fill God's mouth with our words of hate and bigotry. Appalling that we make Jesus in our own image.
There are good people of good faith on every side of marriage equity conversation. I believe that. I respect that. People who are working through deeply held understandings of scripture and tradition. But there is a bogus narrative that must be identified as bogus. Marriage equity will not diminish marriage in our country or in our state. What diminishes marriage in, our, in America and in Georgia is the 60-hour work week and the refusal to adopt a real living wage that will ease the strain of many working poor families and couples. What diminishes marriage are antiquated immigration policies and laws and non-existent training for clergy to more artfully support families in crisis. What can we do? Help us, Grenfell. I remember not so long ago, gatherings like this one were unthinkable. That was not so long ago. Anybody remember those days? I remember when this very church, All Saints, did something revolutionary. We acknowledged the dignity of those who were living and dying with AIDS. They could be spoken of here by their names. They could be cared for here. They could be grieved here. They could be commended to the greater life with God here. And it has to be said again and again, thank you, All Saints Church, for your witness. Thank you. Thank you for stretching us. Thank you for being appalled enough to act. But now there is more for the church to do. We mustn't memorialize our yesterdays so much that we are blind to today's work. I'm so grateful for the work of those who are telling our children, our teenagers, pleading with them that it gets better. Telling them that if you will just hold on, you will make it through adolescence with all of its awkwardness and barbarity. And that you will become a self-possessed gay man or gay woman and that joy can increase. But we should, as a people of God, be able to say more to our young people than simply, it gets better. We should be able to answer for them the question, why should they hold on? We should be able to say to them, who makes it better? The church must tell them, you are made in the image of God exactly how you are. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your name is beloved, not shameful, not worthless, not sinful, not mistake. Your name is redeemed. Your name is friend. That Jesus himself went to his own and they rejected him. They did that. They rejected him and he knew that he walked with them. So we take courage. Make Jesus your refuge and confident because Jesus makes it better. That's what we have to say to our young people. And if in their discovering of their sexual orientation, our teenagers are cast off by their mothers and fathers, and so many are right here in Atlanta and on our streets, it will be to left to us, Christ's church, to remind them what the Bible says, that though your father and mother forsake you, the Lord will hold you near, the Lord will take you up. This, I am sure, is our calling now. Not only to funeralize with dignity, but to fan the flames of life because of human dignity. To be appalled by indignity and death enough to save lives. Let our attendance this evening confirm this 
as our purpose. I'm reminded of a story I once heard that makes some of this plain, at least for me. You see, B was in her 80s and much admired all around for her sweetness and kindness to everyone. Her priest came to her to call on her one afternoon in the, in the fall. She welcomed him into her beautiful Victorian parlor. She offered him a seat while she went to the kitchen to prepare some tea. After all, she was a, an Episcopalian. And while he sat, he noticed B had a, a grand old pump organ. And on top was a beautiful cut crystal bowl filled with water. He looked closer and he noticed, of all things, in the water floated a condom. Right then, B came back into the room. Were the rumors true? Had B finally flipped? He certainly couldn't mention the strange sight to her. As they began to chat, he tried to avoid the thought, but his curiosity got the best of him. Finally, he said, Miss B, pointing to the bowl, I wonder if you would tell me about this. Oh, yes, she replied. Isn't it wonderful? I was walking around downtown two months ago, and I found this little package. The direction said to put it on the organ, keep it wet, and it would prevent disease. And you know, Father, I haven't had a cold yet. <laughs> Poor B. She was unwise and unlearned in the ways of the world. But we simply can't afford that luxury. Jesus set his disciples out on a boat. And as they rowed the course Jesus gave them, they strained. And the winds were against them. All night this happened. They seemed surprised by it all. Until in the morning they saw him, the one they loved but were afraid to love too much. Some speak of leadership in the face of change, but I think it's more accurate to speak of faithfulness in transition. To be a follower of Jesus is to always be straining at the oars pulling together to always be buffeted by winds through long uncertain night times we are many kinds tonight we are black and white gay and lesbian and straight some of us have money and education others not so much but we are first and foremost followers of Jesus and because of his coming to us in the mornings and the night times of our lives, we yet persist. We are first the recipients of a love that we neither could win or deserve. A love that allows us to impinge on it until it has transformed us by its gentleness. A love that knew us in the construction zone of our, of our mother's womb. And we are simply and sublimely to reflect this love and light through the shattered glass of our lives. This was Jesus' only request of us, that we would love the world because he loves the world with all of its warts, all of them, and all of its wonders, all of them.
Just like those disciples then, we are in the same boat now. But just like them and just like Grenfell, we can reflect a holy sense of being appalled and of being astounded by a God who condescends to have his message of wholeness come through us, us, the partial and the duplicitous. So as we prepare for the parade, remember the first pride parade, the one over in 1 Corinthians where Paul said, God has put us apostles on display as if we were at the end of the parade. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. It is this love, this love of parade, this parade of love and of opportunity and of calling that Maya Angelou seemed to speak of when she said, the sun has come, the mist is gone. We see at a distance our long way home. I was always yours to have. You are always mine. We have loved each other in and out of time. Before the first stone looked up at the dazzling sun and before the first tree struggled up from the forest floor, I had always loved you more. You saw me lost, hurt, injured by chance, bludgeoned by circumstance, shouting at the heavens, loudly screaming, trying to turn nightmares into dreams. But the sun has come and the mist is gone. We now see at a distance our long way home. I was always yours to have. You are always mine. We have loved each other in and out of time. Amen.